Good morning, Steve Dale's Pet World on WGN. Uh, I'll be talking about an important topic later in the program having to do with domestic violence and where to go with your pet, because we know most people have a pet. If there's violence in the home, most people won't leave unless there is somewhere to go with the pet. Kara Burns is a credentialed veterinary technician, but much, much, much more than that. You are an icon. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I mean, literally, you were just awarded an award called the Icon Award. Yes. Does it that was... make you feel old? Or does that make you feel... <laughs> it, it makes me uh, very... I'm very humbled by that. Um, I mean, this really is a prestigious honor in the industry, one of many you have received. And in my crystal ball, I know many, many more to come because you have made such an incredible impact, not only in the world of veterinary medicine to veterinary professionals, particularly your colleagues who are technicians and nurses. Yes. But... What do you do as technicians and nurses? You communicate to the public. And therefore, you've made a difference in pets you will never meet ever. Millions of them. So, well, Kara, that is very kind to it's say. True, and it's true. It's true. You are amazing. <clears throat> you are also involved in so much in the industry, including being on the board of directors of the Every Cat Health Foundation. Yes. Every Cat Health Foundation is such a phenomenal group of individuals and the mission behind every cat to, you know, to truly focus on every single cat out there and how we can provide grants um, to focus on the issues, the the medical conditions that are affecting um, our our cat, and also to to truly find out what is out there, what is causing these issues. And I mean, FIP, you know better than I do how how far we've come with that. Once a death sentence, right? Yeah. Oh my gosh! And and the work of the advocacy of every cat to to work to find truly what is going on with FIP and to come up with a treatment is to me astounding i've as you mentioned i've been in the profession longer than others and <laughs> and i've seen i've seen that that transition from what are we going to do right this is such a horrible horrible disease to you know the the funding for research to the point where we now have um, treatment yeah. is, wow, yeah, it's a I testament was... to all the researches and everyone who has been on the Every Cat board for, for, for many, many years. Yes, and by FIP you mean feline infectious keratinitis, yes. which greatly kittens get, Yes, and that's part of the tragedy of it all. So it's awful, Kara, yes. when I'm sure... When you have to go up to a cat parent with a 15 or 18-year-old cat, kidney disease, maybe cancer, maybe, and say, well, this is going to be now tough. Yes. But for a kitten? Yes. That's crazy. It is. And FIP, in fact, was and is becoming more and more common for reasons that are unknown. So the fact that there is now... A treatment, and these researchers worked. It's a complicated disease. Yes, it is for, for decades yes. to figure all this out and to come up with an antiviral or antivirals, plural, right? That and one of them is actually remdesivir 
transferred over <laughs> to help people uh, with COVID. Yes. It's, it, and none of this would have happened without cats getting or kittens getting FIP, without the board of directors and the scientific advisory group of the Every Cat Health Foundation. And uh, it's, it's quite incredible. Yes, it, it really is. Um, we can't talk about it enough. Um, the One Health implica- implications, this is a clear example of of how focusing on one health and meaning what meaning how disease affects both um, humans and different or various animal species and how we can work together to to help manage these you know with remdesivir and then we had the covid you know um, pandemic that is just such a perfect example of the One Health approach to medicine and medicine as a whole. Not veterinary medicine, not human medicine, but medicine encompassing both. That's a great way to put it. On April 13th and 14th, uh, the Every Cat Health Foundation will be holding a symposium, North Carolina State University. If you are listening to this, you are invited. Yes. The focus, I mean, because this is for the public as well as veterinary professionals. Absolutely. Amazing speakers, and you're one of them. (laughs) And you'll be talking about what? I will be talking about managing pain in cats and a couple of different approaches to that. So, um, so as you know, uh, Steve, I am um, big into nutrition. You're a specialist. <laughs> now, now, we should explain the focus of this entire event is on pain. Pain, and yes. A lot of it. Osteoarthritis, which, Lord knows, cats get much more than we ever thought. Absolutely. But it'll also be about GI pain, pain due to cancer, uh, even dental pain, all all of these things. And from there, I'll let you take it from what you'll be talking about. Okay, yeah. Um, Because if we think about it, all these disease conditions, as you mentioned, cause pain. But do we as a profession and do we as pet owners, cat owners, always pick up on that pain, right? So as you said, there are some brilliant speakers and then I get to come to. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. So, um, but, you know, really focusing on um, identifying and managing pain in cats and so so yes i will be looking at a nutritional approach so what nutrients and and also you know how do we increase um within the cat itself the uh, pain management uh, at, at really at the cellular level so um, so using some some different uh, targeted pulsed electronic yes electromagnetic therapy therapy yes yeah which is really amazing and the thing about yes. what you're about to talk about is you can do this at home yes right you know this if is you a, have a cat yep it's a wonderful um, uh, modality for cat owners to use at home. I want to talk about this. Uh, It's called the CC loop. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about how in the world what a cat eats 
can help a cat with pain. Okay. How the two can be intertwined. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's only one person who knows. And we'll be back with Kara Burns after these on WGN. She is amazing. Kara Burns is here, veterinary technician who specializes, among other things, in nutrition. I say among other things because that is the case, isn't it? I was um, honored to uh, to be given an honorary VTS in internal medicine. VTS um, meaning? Uh, I'm sorry, veterinary technician specialist, um, and another um, honorary veterinary technician specialty in dentistry. Um, because in addition to nutrition, I try to focus on all areas of our cats and dogs, um, and actually other species, <laughs> um, to uh, you know to to really try to pinpoint what is going on and help the entire team the veterinary my colleagues veterinary technicians or nurses and the um and veterinarians to 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 manage these pets and you know there's a lot that goes into that and a lot of different areas so um so yes thank you for mentioning that no you are one of the great communicators you know so it's always a pleasure to talk to you and what we're talking about is April 13th and 14th at North Carolina State University yes. in Raleigh, Raleigh North, North Carolina. Carolina yeah. Yes, uh, There is going to be a symposium hosted by their Feline Health Center in conjunction with the Every Cat Health Foundation. You can go to Raleigh. You can watch virtually everycat.org. It's mm-hmm. all for two not-for-profits, their yes. Feline Health Center yes. and the Every Cat uh, Health Foundation, so both not-for-profits. Uh, and the topic generally is pain. A lot of it will be uh, osteoarthritis pain because that's the thing to talk about in cats now because we know so much more than we knew just a couple of years ago. You'll be talking, among other things, about pain and nutrition, but we also left off at, this is a big one, targeted pulsed electromagnetic therapy. Yes. Even getting all that out. Yes. It sounds very fancy, but it is really fascinating it, as it to, truly yeah, is yeah. it um it focuses on and in the areas that the pet is having pain and so if it's you know um if they have kidney disease and they're having kidney pain um inflammation is a big part of that and we can target that pulsed therapy to the area where um, that pain is coming from. And so, so yes, osteoarthritis um, is one of the disease conditions I'll be speaking of. Now, I, I'm stopping you for just a moment. So this product called the CC Loop, yep. imagine, I don't know, uh, the size of two phones put together, uh, a loop. It's a loop. It looks like a yes. loop. Yes, yes. And you press a button, and then what happens when that button is pressed? There is a um, electromagnetic field. Field, thank you. Um, that is directed with this loop in the area of where um, you put it. Yes, and, and, and so where the pain electro- targeted. Yeah. Yes. So, so if it's kidney pain, you yes. just put it over where you think yep. the kidneys are on the cat. Correct. If it's knee pain, you yes. put it over the knee of the cat or yes. knees. Yes. Uh, and it really does reduce inflammation. It, it does something does. else. Actually, it doesn't do something else, and that side effects are adverse 
reaction. So cats sometimes have a difficult time taking non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications. Yes, and there's these, not a lot of them out there for cats. True enough. Mm-hmm. And these may also be older cats. Yes. Where, okay, medication's going to be difficult because the cat has other conditions being an older cat. Yes. Uh, so this makes it possible for you just – and the thing is, cats – they kind of like the cat nap. Yeah. And you could just put it, like, lay it over the cat. It's yes. non-invasive. Yes. And and owners are able to do this at home. Owners Which, want to be involved in in their cat's care, yes. right? Yes. Um, and cats, you know, they don't like change. They, they truly get anxiety going to, you know, a different place, especially the, the veterinary hospital. And so this is a perfect solution to for the owner to help manage their cat's pain at home. So it's really a win all the way around. And sometimes, I mean, because it is so non-invasive, not a bad idea for some cats, and I know you'll be talking about this, to begin maybe at six years old as you're seeing early, early, early potential signs because we know that cats hide pain. Yes, they do. And, And we also know that more cats are arthritic than we ever thought and, sadly, maybe a tad overweight and therefore more likely to have this problem. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, 61% of cats in, in the U.S. are overweight or obese. And that is a most definite risk factor for lameness, osteoarthritis, along with a number of other disease conditions. Yeah. So, so, yes, we need to get weight off of our cats um, and we need to really educate the veterinary healthcare team and the pet owner as to you know cats do come down with osteoarthritis 40% of adult cats and 90% of cats over 12 90% yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah and and so we really need to um to be looking at that and talking to pet cat owners to to see what's going on. Could it be osteoarthritis? And if it is, we have different modalities to help manage that. Is pain almost always associated with inflammation? That's a tough question, isn't mm. it? You're stopping it. In- inflammation will cause pain. And there's always an inflammatory component. So I I know if I say yes, then someone will be like, well, not in this instance. So <laughs> Is the answer maybe yes. It's it's close to yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so and I said almost always. Anyway. Yes. Yes, right. you did. Yeah. So so if that is the case, how does what you eat? I guess as a person, but I'm really talking cats here. Yes. So what the cat eats? How does that? matter well you know i'm going to say what a cat eats 100 percent matters um and you know we can look at you know pain in general or pain from a specific disease condition we have nutrients that can help manage disease conditions if we're managing that disease condition we can manage the inflammation and the pain and so for example we're talking osteoarthritis so there are um there are certain amino acids that we can focus on. There are um, glucosamine and chondroitin. There is um, uh, omega three fatty acids. One of my favorite things in the world to you know to nutritionally speaking to help manage inflammation. Um, so well, the same is true. 
just that one last item. Yep. Omega threes. Yes. And omega sixes in the right balance. In the right balance. Yes. Uh, You're the expert here. I I just (laughs) have heard that probably from you, Uh, but. In the right balance is the thing, and the balance is different, I suspect, for cats than people. But how do you supplement that cat? Well, we can add omega-3 fatty acids, um, or there are some foods that are already formulated to help manage different disease conditions with the appropriate amount of omega-3 and omega-6 in the proper ratios. Is that the better choice? Because the ratio has to be proper. And, it, it does. And pilling a cat is never fun. Yeah. So why not just, we have to feed them anyways, right? So yeah. why not just feed a food that already takes care of that? And can the food actually make a difference to treat the pain? Absolutely. Yeah, no hesitation. You didn't hesitate no, there, did you? No, it most certainly. It may take um, a, a little bit uh, for the for the owner to notice, but one hundred percent, I have seen cats in much less pain, um, more range of motion, um, able to move much much more readily by eating specific nutrients formulated to help with osteoarthritis or other, you know, inflammation and pain. Okay, we're going to talk more about that, more about diet and cats and what you feed your cat <laughs> when we come back. I'm getting hungry. On WGN. <laughs> I have often talked about feline infectious peritonitis here, or FIP, on the show. It's something kittens too often get, sometimes adult cats, but it's mostly kittens. And there's now a treatment It works. It's being used in Australia. It was developed here in America, being used in the UK, New Zealand, other countries as well, and now imported into Canada. But in the US, the only way to get it is kind of through the, what do they they call it, the dark web, right? You know, the black market online. It's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know what's going on with the Food and Drug Administration Center for Veterinary Medicine. They could approve it or... If you're getting cats, move to Canada because now, well, there are other reasons maybe to move to Canada. Hockey, that's one of them. But but I will tell you, it's crazy that in the U.S., the only way to get a drug for FIP is to do so, and you're kind of walking the legal, illegal line. Kara Burns is a registered, licensed... Licensed. Veterinary <laughs> technician. It's yes. so confusing. It is confusing. You know, I wish it was the same in all 50 states. But what's important is, and I know you use this term, credentialed. Yes. So how important is it? You know, it drives me crazy that some veterinary practices will say, well, uh, myself and my technician are going to help you. Well, it's really a vet assistant, and they're wonderful. Absolutely. Every member of the team is important. But they're not you. They're not a credentialed technician. What's the difference? Credentialed technicians have um, uh, gone to um, an American Veterinary Medical Association accredited college, school, um, they have uh, two to four years, um, at least, of education specifically in, you know, physiology, biology, um, uh, toxicology, right? All the, y- y- we're going to school to learn about animals mm-hmm. and, um, and 
then, you know, we have to get through our schooling and then we sit for the veterinary technician national exam. And it is, it, it's not a 10 question, you know, hey, do you like cats? Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. a, it is a, um, a, a certifying exam. It's a licensing examination that is, you know, presented nationally um and once you pass that then you can uh become a credentialed veterinary technician um i'm a licensed veterinary technician because of the um i w- and i'm a certified veterinary technician because i'm um credentialed in a couple of different states um there are other there's a registered veterinary technician basically all of these um are the same um just it, different depends on just, which state you're yeah in. it As just depends on it. that's terminology. exactly right all right so we're talking about and and also veterinary technicians like veterinarians, like human physicians, can specialize. Yes. And and one of yours <laughs> happens to be in nutrition. Yes. And, in fact, you've been a leading voice in nutrition for our pets for a very long time. And we're talking about, before the break, the relationship between nutrition and pain yes. uh, for cats, specifically in this case. And I, I want to go back to that because people wouldn't necessarily think that what I feed my cat – I mean, you think about, okay, we want to give a pill – Right. And even for us, right? Oh, absolutely. The first thing we go to is uh, something's wrong. Yeah. Let's get a pill. Exactly. I mean, that's that uh, good, bad, or otherwise, that's right. kind of how we think, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. So th- th- we want to go to that. We were talking, for example, about the ACC loop. The ACC loop. Yep. Yeah. But whatever modality it is, we're talking about things that can make a difference for people, maybe going to physical therapy. Yes. There are physical therapists that help dogs and cats cats too yes as well and yes. they're these things are wonderful we don't necessarily think about nutrition i i know <laughs> <laughs> and you're not happy about that no. i you know because you know um steve that i've spent my career trying to get my colleagues to focus more on nutrition and i and i think you know it's getting better we we've we have come a long way doesn't mean we don't have a way to go Pet owners focus on their own nutrition and want to have that discussion about nutrition with the veterinary healthcare team. So I encourage all of my colleagues to to have those conversations. Um, it's okay if you know. Uh, hey, uh, for for pet owners that are listening, please bring your questions in. And for veterinary healthcare teams that are are listening, let's have that conversation with our pet owners. That is how we are all going to be on the same page as to what is in the best interest of that specific patient. To me, there's two ends of the spectrum right now. There are pet parents that. When their veterinarian says, what are you feeding your pet? Um, uh, I think it's... Uh, the green bag. Exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so what I tell people is to take a picture, Yes, actually, of the food that they're feeding the pet. That's kind of one end of the scale. Mm-hmm. The other are people that are so passionate about it, and they're reading, you know, maybe they see a TikTok video mm-hmm. saying, that pet food is bad. Or, or then they see something else on the internet on Facebook or something. Yes. Not from a pet food company saying that pet food is bad. I mean, there's rumors going around right now. Oh, but sure. But we could be talking six months from now and it would be a different company, different rumors. Right. But these rumors 
It's not like the old days where maybe my next door neighbor heard about it because I said something to them. Right. It is like thousands of people because of social media, if not yes. millions of people. Yes. Does that drive you crazy? It does not. Really? Um, yeah. Even when they're not true. Well, uh, it does not because I want them I, – I look at it as they want to know what is going on. They want to be educated. So it doesn't drive me crazy as long as they're coming in and having the conversation with me. Oh, but what if they don't? What if they just yes. switch foods because that, TikTok says yes, and I that, need to do it. They're and, in and lies they, the problem. What's more, yeah. they spread the same, you know, yes. they share that. Yes. So someone else doesn't buy whatever food it is, switches Correct. food, thinking, oh, if I don't, my animal's going to die. I right. mean, they care. Right. But is Which, their caring misplaced? Their caring is... Um, not misplaced. I think uh, what they're focused on is important, but misunderstood. So what I always bring it back to is we, as veterinary healthcare team members, have to bring up the conversation because they may be happy, right, with whatever they're feeding, and it may not be appropriate for their pet. But we're not going to know that if we don't ask. So we have to ask these questions, and we should be asking these questions. A nutritional assessment is the fifth vital assessment. What are the, so, what are the other four? So every time a pet comes in, your veterinary team should be doing, taking a temperature, taking the pet's pulse, the respiration, doing a pain evaluation, that's the fourth, and doing a nutritional assessment on every single pet that comes in every time they come in. And from there, we can start having these conversations. I truly believe that owners want to know. That's why they're going. Oh, I, I, I yeah. agree with that. And, yeah. But we're, if we're not bringing up the topic, we then cannot be mad. You know, if they're, I agree. If they're doing what they, they think is right. However, you, they don't see you every week. You know, so even for the client that comes in every six months. Yep. And most don't for routine care. Uh, they're just going to spontaneously, in many cases, they do yeah. say, "Okay, this is what TikTok says, and therefore it must be true." And my problem is that it probably isn't true. It probably is not. So I would encourage everyone to to look at where the information is coming from. Is there a veterinarian involved in, you know, with the website? Is there a credentialed veterinary technician involved with the website? Um, or, you know, whatever it is that they're investigating. There are some veterinary nutrition related resources out there. Yes, Tufts that, is one that comes to mind. Tufts mind. Pet Foodology um, is a and phenomenal... you're the leader of one of them. Pet Nutrition Alliance is another one. Um, the World Small Animal Veterinary Association. Yeah, yeah. So, so we just yes. named three. Go to those three places. Please. Or April 13th and 14th in Raleigh, North Carolina to see Kara Burns and colleagues. And colleagues, Presented yes. by the Every Cat Health Foundation, Kara Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Katie Campbell with Red Rover is the Director of Collaboration and Outreach. Uh, what is Red Rover, first of all, Katie? 
Oh, Steve, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Um, so Red Rover, um, we are a national animal welfare organization. Um, we were established in 1987. We are based uh, way out over there in Sacramento, California, but we do work all across the country um, and even up in Canada a little bit to really ultimately help keep people and their pets together um, and to support that human-animal bond um, across um, all of our programming. And a topic I feel very strongly about and I've talked about and have moderated panels about and all the rest is this, that uh, domestic violence, which, by the way, during the pandemic was, I believe, by some experts called a silent pandemic within the pandemic. So in other words, domestic violence may be on the rise. But domestic violence victims are not going to escape the person that is perpetuating that violence if they cannot have somewhere to go with their pets. First off, is that correct? And secondly, what is Red Rover doing about this? Yeah, you are absolutely correct. So research tells us that roughly half of domestic violence survivors will delay leaving an abuser if they can't take their pet with them. We also know that roughly 25% of survivors who left an abuser but maybe left their pet with the abuser ended up returning um, because that abuser used that pet as a as a means to get them to return. So we know it's a big issue. Um, and since 2007, Red Rover's really been focused on helping to keep survivors and their pets safe and together. You know, we started with our Safe Escape grants, where we essentially help cover the cost of boarding for a pet while survivor is at a domestic violence shelter. But, you know, many of your listeners might know that boarding a pet can be pretty expensive. And we realized that we kind of needed to shift our focus a little bit. So we still have our Safe Escape grants. But in 2012, we created our safe housing grant program. And essentially with that money, we're able to give organizations up to $60,000 to help create their own pet housing program. That can look a lot of different ways. Um, and we can, you know, maybe talk a little bit more about that. But I'm excited to share that since 2012, we've provided about 210 grants for more than $4 million. So we're helping create these kinds of pet housing programs all across the country. Which is wonderful. And you have made a difference. So I know that a group, which includes uh, Red Rover, Purina, and others, has lobbied for a change uh, in Washington, D.C. And this is something Democrats and Republicans actually agreed with. Uh, And that's a first in of itself, I think. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, in, in 2019, we began partnering with Purina through the Purple Leash Project. Um, extremely, extremely powerful and wonderful partnership that we have with them. Uh, and part of that work is uh, on the PAWS Coalition. And so helping to make sure that there's federal funding to organizations to create this kind of pet housing programming. Um, really, really important. You know, the, the money obviously is is really important, right? But I think the most important piece of this is it sends the message to organizations across the country that this kind of programming is important. And it ultimately is important. You know, this this can mean the difference between a survivor and a pet finding safety uh, and really just healing together. Uh, you know, really, really important work, I think, that we're doing at the federal level with Purina. Oh, I think that's an understatement. And we know a lot of things, I mean, some of which you mentioned, but we also know that if the person doesn't leave, the victim doesn't mm-hmm. flee, 
to a safe place that children are often abused in this situation as well. And the children then will continue to be abused. And abuse is an interesting term because it can be defined as, yes, physical abuse, but seeing mommy be abused over and over and over in itself causes all sorts of issues. Also, you mentioned earlier the pets are used for control. And sometimes the dogs, or interestingly enough, experts have told me, just as often, but typically more underreported, cats are often abused as well and ultimately may die, may be killed, frankly, as a result of the continued abuse. And they're not getting veterinary care in many cases, etc. So the spiral then goes sort of out of control. And imagine as a child seeing someone abuse an adult, abuse a dog or a cat. So that child then learns that this is the way to do things and then may become an abuser himself or herself. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, really what you're you're pointing to is is what we call the link between human and animal violence. And essentially anytime in the home when an animal is being abused, people are at risk, or vice versa, when people are being abused, the animal um, is at risk. And you know, I think that's part of the reason why this work is so important to us at Red Rover to, to help really kind of stop that intergenerational violence. You know, through our readers program, we're all about trying to help kids, um, you know, have that empathy and compassion and love for animals and for people. And so this is really, really important work for us to, you know, help make sure that people and their pets are safe here and now, and that we help really build, I think, a more compassionate and empathetic generation for the future. And and the one thing I'll also point out, and it's something that we really, really tackle in our Don't Forget the Pets um, collaborative project, where we provide technical assistance to organizations, is that we're not just talking dogs and cats here. Um, you know, we help organizations, you know, really set up and establish programs that can support guinea pigs and snakes and frogs and goats and cows and chickens and ducks, you know, all different kinds of animals are part of of our families. And so we need to make sure that we're ready and willing and able to support support, uh, families of of all different varieties. You know, I think uh, the Urban Resource Institute, if I got that right, in New York City, uh, and others in New York City, actually, I guess if New York can do it, Chicago can do it, but we're not doing it. In Chicago, to my knowledge, the only places that we have for victims of domestic violence to escape to are uh, dormitory-style facilities, which in many ways are inadequate, they're outdated, they're understaffed, as I am told, and pets are not allowed. And the number of beds available for the population of Chicago is like crazy low. So these things do need to change. They do. They do. Absolutely. And, and you know, I um, feel extremely confident in saying there is no housing style that we can't work with through the Don't Forget the Pets project to help you get ready to to house people and pets together. You just got to come with an open mind. You know, I come from the human services world before Red Rover. And so I absolutely understand when, that when I say to a domestic violence organization, to an organization serving folks who are unhoused, I know it's a challenge to think about housing people and pets together, but just come to us with an open mind. You know, we'll help you work through those challenges around staff and board buy-in. 
you know, around flow of traffic, around, you know, where do the pets actually live and stay at your shelter to that fundraising piece. And I know that that money piece is a big, big concern uh, to most folks. Yeah. And I, yeah. But, and, it, and politics matters, too, sometimes, unfortunately. We're simply out of time. But where can people learn more about the work that you're doing? I encourage folks, come to our website, redrover.org. Um, you'll find all the information you need to know about our Safe Escape program, our Safe Housing Grants program, and, of course, our Don't Forget the Pets project. Kitty Campbell of Red Rover, thank you so much. Thank you. How do you know that your dog or cat loves you? I've got the ways. Uh, first of all, your dog wants to or cat wants to see you. So you're gone. You're gone for, well, dogs famously. You could just leave to go throughout the trash and come back, and the dogs are happy to see you, right? Overjoyed at times, cats show their joy a bit differently, maybe running in the other direction, but they're excited, and they'll scratch at furniture or something maybe you don't even want them to do, or maybe they've got the zoomies, or a dog has the zoomies, all of which demonstrates excitement, and that means they may love you. Also, when you talk to your pets, do they respond? I don't mean only vocally. So a cat may purr back, a dog may bark back, or go, you know how some dogs actually talk. Dogs will smile back at us at times. A dog will do the butt wiggle, you know, be so happy I'm talking to you, you're, you're getting attention. That all means you are love. A cat's meow. They don't generally, this is interesting, meow, to communicate to one another, but they will meow to communicate with us. And that could mean they love you. Ever see a couple, two people, and you know by the the way they look at each other, they are in love. Dogs will sometimes look at one of us that way, right? They are infatuated, or so it seems. Cats, too. Cats, not as long. So a dog stare like looking inside you almost, uh, can go on for minutes at a time. For cats, it's usually 10 seconds or so, but then they do the slow blink. And all of that means, I love you. And, you know, Wendy Snyder once asked me about it, saying on the air, how do you know your dog or cat loves you? And then she broke into song. I think I love you. So, well, I won't do that. But I will say the one thing I forgot about dog kisses. Sometimes cats do that too. And that could mean a lot of things, but it could also mean I love you. We'll talk to you next week bright and early, and I do think I love you. I'm WGN.